0: This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company. For more information and links to all our great podcasts, visit hartmanmedia.com.
1: Welcome to the Holistic Survival Show with Jason Hartman. The economic storm brewing around the world is set to spill into all aspects of our lives. Are you prepared? Where are you going to turn for the critical life skills necessary to survive and prosper? The Holistic Survival Show is your family's insurance for a better life. Jason will teach you to think independently, to understand threats, and how to create the ultimate action plan. Sudden change or worst case scenario, you'll be ready. Welcome to Holistic Survival, your key resource for protecting the people, places, and profits you care about in uncertain times. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Jason Hartman it's my pleasure. to Welcome, Robbie Suave. He is the author of Panic Attack. Robbie, welcome. How are you?
0: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
1: Good to have you on. I, I've seen you on TV making the rounds quite a bit on uh, some of the talk shows out there. What is Panic Attack?
0: Panic Attack is my forthcoming book, uh, available in June, available for pre-order now. About the situation on college campuses, if you've been watching the news over the last couple of years, you've probably seen the high profile shutdown, disinvitation, censorship of controversial speakers, some professors being investigated because they've said something that offended their students a kind of very militant, anti-speech, radical contingent on many campuses, particularly elite campuses, that is making it more difficult for everyone else to practice their freedom of expression. So I traveled to a number of campuses, I interviewed, I engaged with tons of these students to try to understand what motivates them toward these tactics that I think look to a lot of observers, even some observers on the left, as kind of self-defeating and tried to trace kind of where their ideology comes from.
1: Yeah, you know, I had John Stossel on the show talking about this. I've had many guests on. It is absolutely nuts what is going on on college campuses, especially my mother's alma mater, Berkeley, which has sort of has this moniker as the, the bastion of free speech. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's like... We must live in an upside-down, bizarre world. You even, like, alluded it to yourself. I, I don't know, maybe you even misspoke, but you said censoring controversial speakers. I mean, why would they be controversial? <laughs> you know, that's, that's the thing I would even argue, right? But fair enough. I, I mean, what's happened right. to our colleges? It, it's it's right. like they've gone absolutely nuts. And it used to be that very leftist
0: students, you know, believed this free speech, was one of their guiding principles. And Berkeley was the home of the free speech movement because activists you know, wanted this right to bring speakers they disagreed with. In my research for this book, I found out that in 1963, the far-left students at Berkeley, they uh, invited a Nazi, a member of a Nazi group to speak on campus. And they all dressed in Nazi costumes, the leftist students did, to promote this event. It was purely a free speech stunt they didn't heckle the guy. They didn't shout him down. They let him give his ridiculous remarks. And then everybody went, you know, on their way. Can you imagine anyone trying to do this now? I mean, I visited Berkeley for my research for the book. And when there was a, a speaker uh, who the students wouldn't like speaking there, they had to rope off the whole area where he was going to talk. You had to go through a metal detector because they were afraid that people were going to attack this speaker. I mean, it's completely changed. The activist set has decided that free speech is actually a bad thing or is a threat, I and mean, they I think they're wrong about this, but they've decided that, that a free speech sort of set of norms is not conducive to their goals.
1: Okay, so if you're looking at it from, you know, a radical left-wing, anti-freedom, anti-dissent, can't-have-a-rational-argument perspective, not that i have an opinion about this. (laughs) But, you know, if you're looking at it from their perspective, right, why is it self-defeating for them?
0: Well, I think it is because, you know, their ideas are controversial to a lot of people, right? The things that the furthest left people believe are out of step with the vast majority of Americans and out of step with many authority figures. I mean, our, our country is currently majority governed by people on the right people the left would say are on the extreme right so if you're going to start eliminating free speech you know your kinds of sort of pro-palestinian activism anti-cop activism black lives matter all those people are going to be the first people whose speech is stripped away from them that's why it's self-defeating but when i argue this with them they don't even necessarily disagree that's what i found so interesting They are purely making the anti-speech argument on the basis of the idea that if you bring someone to campus who has views that are offensive to our marginalized allies, then you are introducing violence. And our first goal is to keep the marginalized, the people in our, our left contingent safe from physical violence and also from emotional and mental violence. They take their mental health very seriously. So it's first a self-defense matter. And when you understand that that's what the issue is, that's a different kind of strategy you have to argue against because that's what's animating them.
1: Interesting. So how did we get to this point?
0: I mean, it's a very complicated question without clear answers. My sense is that, I mean, this generation, the young people that we have that are causing these issues on campuses, who, by the way, are, are by no means majority. They are a, a small kind of activist contingent. But young people have been socialized under different norms in education. I mean, you know, this doesn't start when you get to campus. The K through 12 system is more geared toward, I think, discouragement of discomfort than ever before. I think some of the people who are causing these issues have come to view the education system as its purpose is to provide you comfort, not to challenge you or to provoke you. And so they demand the same kind of, uh, you know, some people like uh, Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt had described this as a sort of coddling mindset that they have grown accustomed to. And that's what they want when they get to campus as well. It's also just true that these students are learning from each other. I mean, in the social media age, right, you can learn uh, much more easily what the students at Berkeley did to disrupt a controversial speaker, even if you're, you know, across the country. It's a conservative myth, in my opinion, that they're being sort of radicalized or indoctrinated by their professors. Actually, their professors are terrified of them, (laughs) even their far left professors, because they believe slightly different things maybe about race or gender. And if they say the wrong thing, they'll be investigated. But the students are
1: learning That's interesting. From so, each other. so it's not the system. I mean, professors are very uh, out of touch with the real world most of the time. And of course, I'm making a generalization. Obviously, I, there are some professors that are active in business, and they're brilliant and, and so on. But Most of them, I'd say a good, decent majority, are pretty out of touch with the real world. You know, I I think that's a fair statement. So you don't think that that's coming down from the top at all, huh?
0: No, I mean, there is a little, specifically in disciplines that are very activist-inclined, that are not particularly academically rigorous, you know, the, the various studies of certain marginalized groups, And many of these classes are essentially just activism. There's not a lot of philosophy to be taught there. And I think the professors in those disciplines are more likely to be maybe they're changing minds or they're, I think it's more likely they're providing a sort of language and framework for young student activists who are already inclined to want to think and do these things. But yeah, the the bigger issue certainly is just the students you know, learning from each other. And also, I mean, they're trying to, in their residence halls, I mean, there's this sort of quasi bureaucracy. It's like an academic, but also bureaucratic, sort of the VP for sustainable diversity, that kind of person who's running things in the residence halls, who might be a graduate student, might be someone else and they're coming up with programming for how these students have to think and how they, can, they have to behave, and they're discouraging, you know, anything that is an extreme, woke, far-left sort of progressivism. I mean, I think that's probably doing way more uh, damage, if you think this is a bad thing, damage, than kind of. Because at least in a, in, ideally in a classroom, even if you have a, a very far-left professor who you disagree with, I tend to think most of these kinds of professors who've been at this a while, even if their views are way different, they enjoy a good spirited debate. I don't think they punish conservative students and I don't think they're recruiting so overtly as conservatives seem to think. And again, when I talk to them privately, they are terrified of these students they they know they think and they know that they will be next
1: you know i wonder i mean there's that old quote we've all heard it's probably winston churchill i believe if you're under 30 and you're not a liberal you don't have a heart if you're over 30 and you're not a conservative you don't have a brain people tend to be liberal at younger ages when they haven't really discovered how the world works and sort of overcome the entitlement mentality. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's true of almost everyone. Is this something we'll, we'll grow out of?
0: Well, here's my concern. So again, I'm not making a across-the-board sweeping like generalization about all young people or even all students. I think most of the people on these campuses are normal and would like to hear dissenting ideas. It's just a small number who have like controlled the conversation that everyone's running scared of. So even if most of the members of of the campus of the generation, you know, they go on to work in normal jobs and maybe their views even drift a little right over time as tends to happen. Yeah, there's nothing scary or weird or atypical there. But if you have a couple people still cling to this sort of shut down mindset. And they go to work in influential companies, they're going to be reshaping America, even though they're they're very small, they have such power and they're already doing this. I mean, so they've done this at the university. You know, they've weaponized things like Title IX, which is sort of harassment policies in the campus that, you know, they've had people they've had professors investigated for saying something related to sex that they disagree with. And they've said, well, this is the federal policy that says, if you offend me on this basis, I have a federal right not to be offended on this basis. So they could turn harassment law in the workplace. There'd be so many things they can do. I mean, media companies right now are are having trouble if they run a piece by an older staff member who's on the left, but there's something in it that the younger staff members don't like. You know, they leak it to their friends and other media organizations, and that person gets piled on social media, you know, Silicon Valley is is sort of, it has the influence of its kind of wokest staff members. So there's a lot of disruption and damage that they can do, even if they're a tiny minority. That's my concern.
1: You've said the phrase a couple of times, please define woke for our audience. (laughs) You know, we have the urban dictionary handy. uh, But, uh, you know, that's something you hear. It's a millennial expression. Uh, What does it really mean?
0: It's, comes from being awoke, being awoken. So it means to be essentially to be aware of and sensitive to all the kinds of evils and inequities in society that a arch far left progressive would be aware of to understand that our society is pervasively racist and sexist and transphobic and so on and so forth. And to be at all times really sensitive to those problems Mm -hmm. and to have that clearly come across when you're talking or when you're writing and, and, and how you behave. So not not just to think these things, but to actively behave in a manner that demonstrates that you care passionately about these things.
1: Right. Urban Dictionary's definition is kind of funny. A person who pretends to be of greater intelligence than he or she in fact is <laughs> is woke. <laughs> yeah, that I mean yeah. that's the uh, sort of
0: Subtext explanation. Right, right. Yeah,
1: very <laughs> interesting. What else do you want our listeners to know?
0: You know, I would just emphasize that I'm not saying that there's a crisis on campuses necessarily. A lot of schools do just fine, and, you know, a lot of speakers come and nobody gets shut down. But it worries me that the most elite institutions, the Berkleys, but the Harvards, the Yales, the Reeds, the Oberlands, the Middlebury's, are just sort of beset by this issue. And I don't see why it would just go away on its own. It may be that we're in this super politicized moment because of Trump and because of tribalism and and that's contributing to it. But also that part of what's animating it is this idea that college campuses have become much more uncomfortable for marginalized students because there's been this string of hate crime incidents which is a subject I, I've been uh, talking a lot about on the radio and on television, this idea that hate crimes are just getting worse and worse and worse, and it has something to do with Trump. And there's all these incidents on campus of, of you know, graffiti on someone's door, offensive things having to do with race, obviously, sometimes gender. And that's propelled a lot of the activism on these campuses. Uh, You know, they're saying, well, look how we're being treated. You know, the racism is rising. It's because of Trump. So, of course, we're angry. Of course, we don't want to hear from Charles Murray or, or whoever it is. But actually, the evidence that this stuff is getting a lot worse is very thin. Usually, these are not solved. But, you know, I've chronicled a lot of these cases. And uh, the number of sort of outright hoaxes is astounding. Yeah. Or even just accidents where it was interpreted as a racial slight, but actually was, had nothing to do with that or was not intended either one way or the other.
1: And, and certainly the most famous case right now is the Jesse Smollett case, which is mind boggling. I mean, that is just a mind boggling case. And the fact that he got away with it. I guess, thoughts on that one?
0: I knew and I think, you know, most people who have surveyed these things, you know, knew pretty much right off the bat, that there was at least a high likelihood that it was faked. And, uh, you know, that's beyond any sort of reasonable doubt, the only conclusion you can make is that he was involved. The prosecutor just sort of declining to force him to plead guilty is really baffling and, and hard to understand. It seems to me uh, it's almost laziness or she she I mean, he was a first time offender and he was going to get a life sentence anyway. So she decided why bother going through with it. I have to imagine she was kind of just sympathetic to him. She has a lot of celebrity and politician friends. It's pretty uh, blood boiling. But anyway, whether you know, whether one incident or not is true, doesn't say anything about the trend. But I've looked at even the you know, the data reported to the FBI about hate crimes, does not really show an increase. You hear that it shows an increase, but actually they're measuring different things every year because this is all voluntary data submitted by different police municipalities. We had like a thousand more municipalities submit data than the year previously. Mm -hmm. So of course, it's going to look like there's more hate crimes. You just have more data to deal with. If you go all the way back to 1994, the number in 1994, despite it being fewer municipalities, it's more hate crimes than there is today. So they fluctuate, and it's not its not even clear to me we're, we're measuring these things very well, but the idea that like hate crimes are off the charts and this is somehow connected to President Trump's rhetoric, there's just no evidence basis for this whatsoever.
1: That would seem just on its face to be true. I mean, it's interesting that Obama, the, he came into office and, and so many people applauded him as this great uniter, but it sure doesn't feel like that happened. I mean, just anecdotally, it feels like the country was more divided than ever when he left. I don't know, more divided than ever. Maybe that's too big a statement. But in modern times, I mean, all you have to do is look at your social media feeds and it it seemed to be that every uh, attempt he made and these rush to judgments about that police thing right at the beginning of his presidency and so forth. I mean, it's almost like, is everything about race anymore? Is is that like all that's going on in the world? I I don't know. It's it's crazy, you know?
0: So unbelievably polarized right now. I don't know how much of it Obama is responsible for uh, or how much of it is because Trump is so intensely anti media and the media is so intensely anti Trump. You know, the media is not like the neutral arbiters in some kind of battle. I mean, they never really were, right? But it's more clear now than it ever has been that the sides are not like. Republicans and Democrats, and then there's media, but the media is sort of kind of on Democrat, liberal side or whatever. The sides are actually Trump and media. Mm -hmm. So you have to be on one side and you must be on one side or the other. So every story, everything that happens has to be put into one box or one lens or the other. It actually makes it very difficult, honestly, Sometimes for people like me, who sometimes agrees with Trump and other times doesn't. Mm-hmm. But, they you know, people like, well, are you are so you're a Trump defender or you're you're or you hate Trump with every fiber of your being? Which are you?
1: Yeah, I know. It's like you can't even have a, a middle ground or an opinion about an issue. I certainly, you know, really despise Trump in many ways. I mean, he, he strikes me as immature, although kind of entertaining, admittedly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know. But you, you say anything on a social media platform. And people just jump all over you. It's, it's mind-boggling. The yeah. level and, and of, it's, of and prejudice. Both layers,
0: there. Because yeah. on the right, you have to, you, not only do you have to concede that Trump has done some good things, you have to like- He's definitely done some good he's things. He's the most moral, wonderful yeah. human being who yeah. has ever existed. Yeah. Which is just obviously not true. But so many in the pro-Trump side like force you to pretend this and then on the other side you have to just concede that he's hitler or they don't want anything to do with you
1: yeah i know it's absolutely crazy give out your website and tell people where they can find out more
0: i'm at uh, reason.com you can also follow me on twitter at robbie suave r-o-b-b-y s-o-a-v-e and please pre-order my book panic attack young radicals in the age of trump amazon barnes and nobles wherever books are sold
1: robbie thanks for joining us
0: my pleasure thanks for having me